This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. I got a lot of respect for the, the other teams and the players on there. You know, Drew, Teddy, uh, you know, Tom coming over. You know, the NFC South is, is packed with talent. You know, the, the whole hype thing, I, I don't look too much into it. Uh, you know, and we, we don't as a team either. You know, we focus on ourselves, focus on, you know, the organization and what we have within um, and build on it. Um, but, but yeah, hype, hype without results mean nothing uh, in my eyes. So, Hype without results mean nothing. Not bad. From Keanu Neal, that was, Coos. Atlanta Falcons. I think he was coming off. He's coming off a couple injuries, actually. Yeah, he so. was talking about his injuries, saying he's well, starting to feel better. Yeah, there it is, man. And um, I like that. Hype without... Oh, I'm sorry, what was the quote again? Hype without... Results means nothing. Means nothing. Which, like... If you think about it, in in their division, like which team do you think will be the one that disappoints, right? He was talking about yeah. the talent level that they all will have to compete against. But I always feel like, you know, there's always one that doesn't live up to the hype, obviously, because they all can't. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. And and to be fair, and with all due respect, and I, and I mean, actually, you know what? And this is truthful. I'm not saying with all due respect and then lying about it. I mean, with all due respect to, oh to, to to one of my friends, man, one of my partners in crime, Marcel Robinson, who's an Atlanta Falcons fan. Listen, right now you're finding you guys, you guys are finding yourselves in a division with the, the New Orleans Saints and obviously Drew Brees and all that guy and kind of got squashed. And now it's going to turn into a Disney movie where they all kind of found a common ground. Now they're going to go out and win a Super Bowl. You play in a division with obviously Tom Brady now, Rob Gronkowski, probably the best wide receivers in the league. Talking about tandem uh, with Godwin and Mike Evans, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're playing the same division as the Carolina Panthers, who are kind of the question mark right now. But they have a hot, new, young, exciting coach, and I don't mean hot as in looks purposes. I'm saying hot from you know a branding standpoint. And you have Christian McCaffrey, arguably the best running back in the game. So the NFC South division, arguably, arguably compared maybe with the NFC West is the most competitive division, I think, in football, right? So, listen, it's it's always rough to be in that kind of scenario, I guess, right? Because let's be honest, Coos, if you're in an NFL locker room, it's all about, you know, in the preseason and the offseason workouts, it's just, yeah, you know, we got to win our division, win our division, win the Super Bowl. And like, everyone starts on the same ground, right? Like, everybody knows what's up. And yes, there was a lot of optimism, especially my rookie year and my second year, so back in 2010, 2011, in the city of Jacksonville and on those teams. Keep in mind, 2010, we go 8-8. Eight and eight. I think we lose out in our last three games, should have went to the playoffs. We blew it. The next year, obviously, a lot of optimism that we're going to do the same thing again, right? If not better now, because, you know, we had a taste of possibly the playoffs. We just missed it by coming a little short. Now we're motivated. Now we want something else. But in the back of our minds, we all knew that, well, how's Peyton Manning doing? Is his neck okay? Is he going to play this season? Because if he is, whew, it, it, it's going to be a rough one. You know, like we weren't necessarily really worried about the Tennessee Titans at the time. We were worried about the Houston Texans because at the time they were a great team. Um, they, they ran an offense, which was a headache to prepare for because – Everything they did looked the same. So being a defensive lineman, um, 
it was rough. So the Houston Texans in our back of mind are like, well, they're going to be good. And obviously the Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning, well, they were going to be good. So, like, yeah, obviously we wanted to win a division. And obviously we worked our butt off to do that. But in the back of our mind, we knew it wasn't going to be a cakewalk. And I think right now, if you're Keanu Neal, obviously if you're Matt Ryan, if you're Todd Gurley um, coming from the, from the Rams, you know, like, listen, man, this division is stacked, all right? And maybe we need a little luck, okay? But we have to do everything in our power to try to win this division, but it's not going to be easy. Like, I'm not sure what the Vegas odds have the Atlanta Falcons right now uh, of winning the division, but it can't be that good. But spoiler alert, though. At least you guys got cool jerseys, and I I stand in the, you know, I'm an outlier when I say that because everyone wants to hate on the Atlanta Falcons jerseys, say they, they look like the longest yard uh, mean machine jerseys. I think the Falcons jerseys look pretty cool, you know. And, and, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna st- I'm gonna stand on that hill, and if I have to die on that hill, I'll die on that hill as well. We want to change topics a little bit here, Coos, and it's kind of a a topic we talked about a little bit yesterday. And the conversation kind of continues to carry on a little bit. And I want to make sure I got the right quote here. So this kind of started this morning, actually, when reports came out of from the Minnesota Twins saying that they're going to remove the statue of former owner Calvin, Calvin Griffith um, over racist comments. So once again, we're we're at this stage right now in society where obviously society and sports are crossing. But we're also at, the, at this space right now where receipts are getting pulled left and right, you know, and people are being held accountable for things maybe they said 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, 40 years, whatever it is. But people are being put on blast right now. And in the latest case, which was all over Twitter today, it was trending. Um, owner Calvith Griffith is being called for his monument or his statue to be torn down from the Twin Stadium after comments came to light from a 1978 article where he said, and I quote, I'm moving the Twins to Minnesota because I found out that Minnesota only had 15,000 blacks here. And and that's the exact quote. I think, yeah, so originally what happened was he moved them from Washington. They're the Washington Senators. And then opted to move them from Washington to Minnesota. And once again, the quote was, when I found out you only had 15,000 blacks here, it was an easy decision, an easy decision, unquote. Yeah, not not a good comment, obviously. Not a good thing um, to, I guess, campaign and just to showcase of, of, of this guy's statue. Now, listen, I, I don't know how Twins fans feel about this whole situation. To me... It's kind of a no-brainer, um, if we're being honest here. Like, and I understand. This was from 1978, so it's a long time ago. And I'm not sure if this guy's still around yet or not. And maybe if he was around, he would say that was a mistake and he's learned from it, yada, yada, yada. Okay. But if this society right now and this landscape has taught us anything, it's the fact that we have to learn our history. And we have to let the history be the teacher, right? I mean, for instance, it's Juneteenth today, okay? And there's actually businesses out there. The Jacksonville Jaguars, for crying out loud, are, you know, they're they're celebrating it, and they're giving their employees the day off, okay? Now, listen, obviously Juneteenth, I mean, you could say it's a celebration, but it comes from a place of obviously a lot of pain 
and a lot of messed up things because Juneteenth essentially is the day that slaves were finally free and they could do whatever they wanted to do. Okay. Now, obviously, yeah, that's something to celebrate, but the fact that we're celebrating it kind of goes to show you like, man, that's right. You know, like it's kind of a mess up situation. So, you know, I mean, people can call it Freedom Day, they can call it Juneteenth Day, but the, the most important thing is that we're talking about it now. We're, we're bringing this to the spotlight because it deserves to be in the spotlight. So whether they make it a national holiday or not, it's the fact that we're letting history kind of guide us a little bit. And we're learning about our roots, whether you're white, black, or whatever color your skin is. I mean, we're learning about history. So with that being said, with Calvin Griffith here, to me, it's a no-brainer. If you're the Twins organization, if you're a Twins fan, the statue's got to come down. Because now, since they got brought into light, every single time you walk in that Twins stadium, you know, every single time you walk into Target Field and you see this guy on the outside of the stadium greeting you as you walk in, why would you want that there? So obviously, the the comments, regardless of how old they are, they're not right. Obviously, I don't think you have that statue outside your stadium, regardless of how old it is, regardless of when those comments were made. I think that's one of those things where there is no fine line. I think it's one of those things where the fact that the Twins got brought to Minnesota in the first place was because there weren't a lot of black people there. It's not something to celebrate, man. Okay? So go ahead and tear that statue down. And let's move on with our lives. So I'm not mad at that whatsoever. But it, it brought me back again here, Coos. And it brought me back to a little more, you know, of a, of a Jacksonville topic, of a Florida topic, of an SEC football topic. And that's the term gator bait. A couple days ago, you know, the, the president of UF said, listen, the term gator bait, it has connotations of, of a rough history, um, you know, back in the early 1900s where – uh, black children were essentially used to coax gators out of the swamp, and then they would shoot them. Um, and it's got a messed up connotation, obviously. Now, once again, from the early 1900s, and I, I was very adamant about this yesterday. I'm not going to say that I'm on one side or the other, because to me, if people are offended, then I'm not. I don't care. I mean, I don't have any ties to the Florida Gators. I, I, I really don't care. It's a chant. Okay, you, you guys will get over it. It's not like they're canceling football. Okay, it's just a chant. And I understand there's tradition with that chant. I understand there's memories with that chant, all this stuff. But it's just a chant. Well, then, you know, then we had former Gator players kind of coming out and saying, well, you better not take that name away because we, we built that name. You know, and it came out, I believe, in the early 90s. So all of a sudden, everyone's like, well, let's have the conversation. Let's talk about it a little bit. Let's talk about it for a little bit. And listen, I'm all for the conversation, but I guess the question comes in, what is the conversation going to do? Because at the end of the day, you know, yesterday we had Gator players speaking out, a former Gator player saying, you know what, keep that chant. You know, like that's part of our history. It has nothing to do with the connotations that's being accused of. It's got to do with us playing football. Well, and then today, actually, I got to find the guy's name here real quick. Yeah, so... Florida, um, former Florida Gator safety Ahmad Black says that he, he wants the term Gator bait gone. So now you have a slippery slope of former players saying to keep the name and former players saying to remove the name and to remove the chant. So it's like no matter what you do, people are going to be upset. So I guess, and listen, I, I've been going back and forth on this because I hate riding the fence. I'm all for having a side and standing behind that side and sticking up for that side. I can see both sides of it. 
at the end of the day, though, here's what I would do if I was the president of the Florida Gators, if if I was you know a higher-ranking member of the Florida Gators. This is exactly what I would do to try to get an idea of what to do, okay? I would poll my current team. Now, granted, I'm sure, the, and I'm not sure what percentage of the Florida Gators this year are black, and I'm not sure what percentage are white. I really don't care. Everyone gets a vote. And you vote. That team that's going to go on the field and play in front of those fans, they have this say. And if I'm the president, I'm going to ask, do you guys want this song or not? And it's going to be up to a vote. It'll, it'll be a private vote. Everyone cast the ballot. And whoever wins, you go from there. Because at the end of the day, to me, it's about the current players. Yes, I understand it's about the history and things like that. And to be fair, I think the current players in that Florida Gator team right now, the way society is, I think they would be against the Gator bait cheer. I honestly do. So I'll put it in the current players' hands because we're already starting to see, well, the former players, yeah, go ahead and have a say. Go ahead and have a debate about it. But you guys are tied to it. You you, you guys are, are so absorbed in it because that's your song and that's your team. And I understand that. But this is a cultural issue. This isn't just a Florida Gators issue. Because the whole world's going to eventually see this. So you got to think about what kind of message you want to portray. And I understand. I didn't know what gator bait meant until a couple days ago. And I'm sure 99% of the population didn't know either. Okay? And I get people bringing up the fact that, listen, how much do we have to go back on history and try to right the wrongs? Okay. And maybe that's a fair argument, but I'm going to say this. I didn't know what Juneteenth was a couple years ago, but you know what? I'm celebrating it today. I didn't know what the black wall street was in tulsa a couple years ago but it's added to the fact that i think that back in the day there were some pretty messed up things that happened to black people okay like that that just kind of reiterated the point that there was discrimination obviously okay so we right now as a society we're going back in in time and we're bringing all these things to light and people want to say well this is stupid why are we going back like these connotations yada 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 i don't care man the only way to grow as a society right now and the only way to grow as people is to look back on history and learn from it, okay? And I'm not trying to say, well, we got to get new textbooks in schools and our teachers have to do a better job. There's a lot of great teachers out there, man, and I was lucky to have a, a bunch of them. And there's a lot of great teachers that don't have a lot of resources who are just kind of following the curriculum what's in front of them. So I'm not trying to out teachers or anything like that. You guys keep doing your thing because you guys are rock stars. But I'm just saying that we have to do and me – Everybody, we have to do our due diligence and learn more about the history of this country. Okay, for instance, I watched the, the Jet Li documentary um, two weeks ago. Now it would have been right. And Jet Li, obviously a, a pioneer of MMA, um, one of my favorite actors growing up. I remember my stepdad used to always make me watch the Jet Li movies, and I loved him and couldn't get enough of him. I had no idea, and I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm embarrassed not to know this. I just didn't know. Maybe I'm just that ignorant. But I had no idea. I mean, they talk about this with Jet Li as a kid. If you were Chinese, you know, back during the, like, the civil rights era, being Chinese was no walk in the park either. Because people associated Chinese people with Japanese people. They thought they all looked the same. And remember, the Japanese were the ones that bombed Pearl, Pearl Harbor. So if you're a Chinese citizen in the United States and you're walking around, man, people thought, well, that guy's family bombed Pearl Harbor. And they couldn't be any farther from the truth. So, like, that that was kind of eye-opening to me a little bit over a Jet Li documentary. So I learned something that day, right? I learned something about Chinese people. So I guess what the point that I'm trying to make here is it doesn't matter when it happened, okay? But you have to accept that it happened. 
And we have to learn about this stuff. And I'm not just saying me as an adult. I'm saying kids as well, man, because when we start learning more of these things of how messed up things were and you know, try to form our country and what people had to go through, if we keep learning about these things, well, then we start to develop a little bit of a sympathy. And that's not a bad thing. Having sympathy for somebody is not bad. Because if you have sympathy, then you can have understanding. And if you have understanding, then you can move on a little bit. So once again, I'm not sure what's going to come out of this this whole Gator Bait discussion. I think you leave it up to the players on that current team right now and see where it goes from here. But um, I think if anything comes out of it, man, it's important that we learn our history. That's all I got to say about that. Cause you're ready to go to break, man. I, I kind of expelled my energy there for that last <laughs> segment, but we're gonna line things up a little bit when we get back here on ESPN 690. Jaguars all decade team we talked about a little bit during the week how right were we how many jaguars are considered to be on the afc south all decade team we break that down next just figuring out what's going to be the best way to operate but also have the agility to adjust and adapt uh in what is going to be a, a very fluid situation I mean, is this crazy, Coach Lynn? We're talking about some of this stuff, and we're playing football. I mean, we're going to social distance, but we play football? I, it's, it's just, this is really hard for me to understand all this. I don't want to be uh, – I, I just I, – I don't get it. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's tough. We're going to have to test them every day. That was Rams coach Sean McVay getting ready for – Hard knocks, if you will. And listen, Sean McVay, better set the game up a little bit because Cliff Kingsbury dunked all over you in terms of swag when it comes to, I guess, housing interior and exterior because the guy had a fireplace outside in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona. So it's the ultimate flex. But, you know, it's funny, right? Because Sean McVay, like, he was the it guy. He was the guy for a year, and everyone's like, if you know Sean McVay, you're going to get a job in the NFL. Like, this guy is an offensive-minded genius. Last year, he gets figured out a little bit. So I'm curious. I mean, listen, this is this is a big year for a lot of NFL teams out there. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, it's a big year for the Jaguars. But to me, this is a big year for Sean McVay because you're going to find out if he really is that mad genius when it comes to offense or if he was that flash-in-the-pan kind of guy. You know, is he just the 2017 Jaguars defense and the Jaguars team, or is he consistent and going to be the real deal for years to come? Because keep in mind how the Rams ended last year. I'm sure everyone doesn't really keep in line with how the Rams are doing, obviously, especially now with Jalen Ramsey on that team. But a team that used to covet running the bunch formation and the spread offense – Last year, you saw him using a lot of two tight end motions and using, you know, just like these running back kind of sets. It was kind of unheard of in a Sean McVay um, offense. So, obviously, they, they draft Cam Akers. Todd Gurley's gone. So, Cam Akers immediately gets thrust into the starting role. And if you're a fantasy guy out there, I'm sure that you probably want to add him to your team early on because – 
if how I think this is going to play out for the Rams this year, I think they're going to be more of a balanced team as opposed to relying on Jared Goff, you know, especially losing Brandon Cooks now as well. I think they're going to use a lot more of their tight ends in, uh, in play action and also use their running backs a little more. So if that's the case, um, I think Cam Akers becomes a pretty high commodity in what they ask to do, what they ask him to do on offense. I'm looking at right now. I mean, yeah. As far as the backups, they got Malcolm Brown, they got Daryl Henderson. I mean, I I can foresee Cam Makers coming in right away and making a splash for that team. And obviously, I think I've seen Sean McVay already sing his praises. So we'll go on from there. All decade AFC South team got released today by ESPN. Brent and I broke it down. I think it was on a Thursday, right, Coos? We broke it down on a Thursday. Um, you know, we, we, we had a couple of, I guess, sure things, right? Like Jalen Ramsey was probably going to be a sure thing. We're questioning whether Puzz was going to be in there. A Daryl Smith was going to be there. Maybe a Calais Campbell. Well, ESPN has finally released the AFC All-South Decade team. And the list is as follows. Offense, quarterback, we got Andrew Luck. One could say Peyton Manning, but in terms of longevity, keep in mind it's an all-decade team, so 2010 until now. It's obviously a no-brainer with Andrew Luck because he has a lot more years than Peyton Manning did at the time with this decade. Running back, running back was a crazy one, man, because obviously Jaguars fans would campaign for Maurice Jones-Drew, and you wouldn't be crazy to do that. You have a guy in Maurice Jones-Drew who led the league in rushing, if I'm not mistaken, in 2011, okay? So that gets you something right there. Pocket Hercules. The the rolling bowling ball of butcher knives, you know? Pick your adjective. The guy had it. And from fantasy purposes, was was one of the very first fantasy stars that I can remember. So Maurice Jones-Drew, he's got that cachet. He's got that pomp and circumstance. But then we forget. We forget about guys like the name of Chris Johnson. And he actually, to be fair, didn't make it either because it's only one running back. The running back that made it, was the clear-cut favorite because keep in mind this guy was an All-Pro, led his team and led the league in rushing back in 2010, um, was a Pro Bowler for three years. Arian Foster, Arian Foster is a, he's obviously a different cat. I'm sure people kind of know his story. Out of Tennessee, um, was literally I mean like wasn't really coveted as this guy that was going to be the game changer. Comes into 2009. Has an okay season. Just kind of shows like he's going to be a legit backup. 2010 comes around and hits the ground running. And keep in mind, 2010 was my rookie year. So I remember the very first time playing Arian Foster. And we we did not game plan for Arian Foster the first time he played the Texans. It was all about stopping Andre Johnson. It was all about stopping the former Wisconsin Badger Owen Daniels at tight end. We were not concerned with Arian Foster. We he he might not even have been in the in, in the in the scouting report. Arian Foster, who is this guy? Long story short, led the league in rushing that year with 1600 yards and 16 touchdowns. Well, you can believe some of those yards and some of those touchdowns came against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we found out who Arian Foster was real fast. So Arian Foster Running back of the AFC South All-Decade team. Wide receivers, obviously I mentioned him before. Andre Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, T.Y. Hilton. Not bad. You know, I think the only one that you could make an, an argument for would have been uh, 
um, Dwayne Allen. But all, all things considered, I mean, I'm not mad at that list because keep in mind, T.Y. Hilton still doing the dang thing. I'm sorry, I'm not Dwayne Allen. Um, no, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. I'll, I'll come back to it in a second here. Um, but regardless, though, uh, not a bad list. DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, say no more. Um, Andre Johnson, to me, one of the most underrated wide receivers of all time in the NFL because the guy wasn't flashy. He was a great run-blocking wide receiver as well. Um, just went about his business, man, and went about it great. Uh, tackles now. We got Dwayne Brown from the Texans and Jack Conklin from the Tennessee Titans. Interesting for Jack Conklin, only three years uh, with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, guards, we got... Quentin Nelson out of the Colts, which is obviously the hot thing when it comes to guards. I probably can't even name another guard right now besides Quentin Nelson, obviously the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. Um, right guard, Wade Smith out of the Texans, 2010 to 2013. And center, this was a little bit of a surprise because you could make an argument for Brad Meester. But the guy also had a little bit of longevity going in his favor as he spent 2012 to 2015 with the Texans and now is currently the Tennessee Titans center, and that's Ben Jones. So I get it, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a meester believer just like everybody else is. But in terms of, obviously, longevity, this guy has played since 2012 and is still playing to this day. So it's hard to, to, to you know deny Ben Jones that honor of being uh, you know the all-decade team of the AFC South. Let's, let's go over the defense now. Defense, pretty obvious. J.J. Watt, got any more brain busters. Defensive tackle, Jarrell Casey, got any more brain busters. Here we go. Jacksonville, we're on the board. Let's go. Duval. We got Calais Campbell, defensive tackle, 2017 to 2019. Um, Listen. There we go, Kuz. We have one Jaguar on the list. Now, offense didn't look pretty, okay? Got snubbed on offense. And to be fair... The Jaguars' offense, not, yeah, it is what it is. But with that being said, though, we get one on defense with Calais Campbell. And once again, to me, really a no-brainer, and it's crazy to think about this. You know, Calais Campbell was only here from 2017 to 2019. Three years, man. In three years, you become a member of the All-Decade team. That says a lot. You know, and granted, it's a defensive tackle, not defensive end. I mean, you can kind of put them both spots. I consider Clayus Campbell a defensive tackle all day. So I'm not worried about, you know, the schematics of it or whatever like that. But it goes to show you just how talented Clayus Campbell was. You know, not only obviously on the field, but we always talk about his stuff off the field as well. And obviously he gets traded this past season, goes to Baltimore, but, man, you want to talk about his time in a Jaguars uniform. Hit the ground running. First year in Jacksonville, 2017, 14 and a half sacks. And I can tell you the tackles, and I can tell you the fumble recoveries, and I can tell you all that stuff. But let's be honest. All you casual football fans out there, all you want is the sacks. We're talking about pass rushing. You guys don't care about how many tackles a defensive guy had, especially an interior guy. So 14 and a half sacks his first year in Jacksonville. There you go. Chew on that a little bit. Next season, ten and a half sacks. From a three technique, from a big end position, better than most. Better than a majority, let's just say. And then last year, you know, had a little bit of a decline in terms of his pass rushing capabilities, but was also, I, I believe, the leader in terms of pro football focus in his ability in the run game. Uh, and he had six and a half sacks last year. But needless to say, Clayus Campbell earned AFC all decade. And it begs the question, you know, 
as I sit here and read read out this guy's stats and his accolades, I mean, is this a guy that you can one day see in the Jaguars' ring of honor? And I guess I don't know what exactly the criteria for the ring of honor is. I mean, obviously, it's longevity. Obviously, it has to do with, I'm sure, community outreach. And most importantly, probably your stats. And I get that Calais Campbell was only here for three years. I completely understand that. And if you said any player is only on a team for three years, how could you justify them putting them in the ring of honor? I hear you. But also, I think that even though Calais Campbell is now gone, I still think that he's done enough not only on the field but also in the community where it's going to leave ripples for years and years and years to come. I guarantee the first time that we see a running back break an 80-yard touchdown, hopefully it doesn't happen, but let's be honest, it probably will at least one time this year. We're going to say, man, we could use Calais Campbell on that one. You know, uh, I'm sure when we see Calais Campbell celebrating, doing his baseball bat home run thing for the Baltimore Ravens as they're probably going to a Super Bowl because that's what happens to Jaguars players. They go to the Super Bowl. I'm sure I'm thinking like, man, well, good for him, number one, most importantly, but number two, oh, Clayus, we could use you this year, man. We miss you. So, once again, I get the longevity's not there for his time in Jacksonville in terms of the Ring of Honor, but I think the ripples that he's left here will will last a long time, and if that says something to you, then that means that he should go win the Jaguars' Ring of Honor. Uh, sh- getting through the list here on uh, the defensive line, we got Robert Mathis. So, um, yeah, pretty obvious, obviously. Great pass rusher from the Indianapolis Colts. By the way, Colts, seven coups? Was it seven players from the Indianapolis Colts here on the? Yeah, that's what uh, Google said. Most impressive. Okay, let's go to linebackers real quick. Colts, Darius Leonard, 2018 to the present. Kind of a shorter career, but obviously the guy is super talented. I'm not mad at that. Jadavion Clowney, linebacker. Okay, I guess we're playing a 3-4 defense now. Uh, Todd Washi listening. Um, so, Clowney. All-decade team. Not mad at that. I get it. One can make it. And listen, and Brent kind of had this point yesterday a little bit. What about Yannick Ngakwe then? Because if you look at the stats, Yannick Ngakwe has accomplished a lot more in his short career than Clowney has overall. Now, keep in mind, I get it. Clowney's had some injuries. And for the most part, Clowney, I'm sorry, for the most part, Yannick Ngakwe has remained healthy. But with that being said, I think longevity goes into it as well. And we're talking about a guy who played from 2014 to 2018, a couple years longer than Yannick Ngakwe. So with that being said, I think he gets the edge. And let's be honest, too, in terms of, you know, a household name. And listen, I'm a, I'm a big Yannick Ngakwe fan. But in terms of a household name, I can go up and ask 10 random casual fans on the street right now, do you know Yannick Ngakwe? Do you know Clowney? I'm sure more of them are going to know Clowney. So Clowney gets the, the, the not over Ngakwe. And you know what? It is what it is. I'm not too mad. But Kuz, get that button ready. Another Jacksonville Jaguar on the all-decade team. And it's a guy who was in one of my top five players that I ever shared a locker room with, that I ever shared the field with, Paul Puz. Lozny. Now, did I pronounce his name wrong at the end? Probably. I can't pronounce his last name. It is what it is. He gets that. He's okay with that. We're still friends. But pause, man. Um, I guess not really much of a shocker to me if you analyze the landscape of linebacking play the past decade in the NFL um, in terms of the AFC South. There's just not like a lot of big name, like true middle linebackers I'm talking about. So Puzz gets the nod. 
good for him, man. Earned it, you know. And listen, I said it. One of one of the best players I ever played with. And and you know what, Daryl Smith is deservingly probably of this um of this award as well. But I have to go back and look. But I don't think Daryl Smith in the last decade lasted a lot in Jacksonville. Um, one. Yeah, so he would have been here for three years, so it's kind of hard to say from his standpoint, but Daryl Smith, obviously an uber-talented linebacker in his own right, but congratulations to Puzz, man, on the all-decade team. All right, let's round it out with the secondary and safeties. Coos, button again, please. I love how you delayed it because people aren't going to be that excited. Jalen Ramsey, okay? Obviously, Jalen Ramsey was one of the players on the all-decade team. How could he? <laughs> but he played for the Jaguars, so yeah. I mean, yeah, what do we, what do we want to do? But uh, yeah, Jaguar Jalen Ramsey, not Ram Jalen Ramsey. But um, yeah, Jalen Ramsey, uh, all-decade team. Kind of a no-brainer, all-pro, uh, very well-known guy, you know, had his time here in Jacksonville. Say what you want about it. Didn't end on good terms, but at least you're going to have some of those memories where he helped to go to the AFC Championship game, you know, and, and take it for what it's worth. I don't want to dwell on him too much because I'm sure it's still a fresh wound for a lot of people out there that he's not here any longer. So let's just move on. The other corner, and I get it because it's a longevity standpoint again, but the more that I thought about it, the more I actually try to campaign for another Jacksonville Jaguar who we didn't even talk about yesterday. All right, so obviously Jonathan Joseph is of the Houston Texans, 2011-2019. I mean, that's he he is a decade basically. Like he is a he is a decade team. Okay, so don't get it wrong. Like it's well earned. I mean, he's still a dependable player to this day. So I'm not taking anything away from him. But when you think about it, though. And maybe I just kind of had my Jaguars blinders on a little bit. But a guy like A.J. Boye. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Austin, I mean, come on. A.J. Boye, he only had three years in Jacksonville. Correct. But remember where he came from before that. He spent four years in Houston. So, essentially, he had seven total years in the AFC South. Okay? That's a long time. That's longevity. That's what you're looking for. Now, he only had one Pro Bowl, obviously, in 2017. So, maybe that hurts him a little bit. I mean... But Doug Marone was very adamant about saying how good of a player uh, A.J. Boye was. And I've been very adamant about saying how good A.J. Boye was. I don't think he gets a lot of credit, especially last year. Um, I think a lot of people kind of thought, I mean, listen, let's be honest. Last year, the defense, it wasn't that good, right? So there was a lot of guys out there that had problems with it. And A.J. Boye kind of got cast to the wolves a little bit. But I thought all things considered last year, I thought A.J. Boye played some pretty good football I'm sure he's going to do great in that Vic Fangio defense out there in Denver where they rely playing that man coverage where the corners get all the shine in that kind of defense. So best of luck to A.J. Boye uh, unless we see them in the AFC Championship game. But Jonathan Joseph, you know, in his own right, he's earned it as well. Two Pro Bowls. And once again, we're talking about a guy who has uh, spent a long time in the AFC South. So Jonathan Joseph wraps up the cornerback list of the all-decade team. Safeties. Take it for what you want. You got Michael Griffin from the Tennessee Titans uh, and Kevin Beard from uh, the Tennessee Titans as well. So two Titans players rounding up the list here. I could say kicker. Let's get Josh Scobie in there, but hold your applause because there's a guy by the name of Adam Venateri. Venateri gets it. Uh, Mark Mariani from the Tennessee Titans is your kick return, punt return specialist. If I'm not mistaken about Mariani, Played against him a couple times. I'm pretty sure that Jeff Fisher, 
much hated here in Jacksonville. I think the story goes with him is that Mariani was a roommate of a, of one of Jeff Fisher's sons in college. And Jeff Fisher's son said, you got to check this kid out, watch his film. Fisher watched him, brought him on the team, kid makes the team, and now he's an all-decade player for your kick return, punt return specialist. So there you go. Once again, I'm sure Jaguars fans don't really care. Just a little fun fact. And in closing out the list, your punter, not Brian Anger, even though he was taken in the third round, we got Shane Leckler of the Houston Texans 2013 to 2017. Congratulations to all the all-decade players. Hey, and you know what? And three Jaguars, man. As my ears are not bleeding, thank you very much, Coos. I'm not mad at it. Uh, I'm not really surprised by anything. Um, I don't think anybody really got snubbed. It's like I said, like I think Daryl Smith deserves to be mentioned, but I get it, man. He's one of the most underrated players of any NFL team, so he's not getting the, uh, the all-decade team as well. But that was the all-decade team. Um, and I think, I'll be honest, man, I think me and Brent Martineau were pretty much on the money in terms of what Jaguars are going to make it. So with that being said, you're welcome, everybody. So something that was kind of going around Twitter while you were talking about that, not to completely divert you from the conversation here. I wish you would because (laughs) I need topics. So the Los Angeles Times posted this. I've been kind of reading the article a little bit more. Uh, It says, breaking, UCLA football players are demanding that a third-party health official be on hand for all football activities to see that (laughs) protocols for COVID-19 are followed, saying they don't trust Skip Kelly. Yeah. Chip, Chip Kelly. Oh, Chip Kelly. Oh, Chip, Skip Chip Kelly. Kelly. Oh, my Skip gosh. Kelly. No, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, no, Chip no one Kelly's program to act in their best interest. <laughs> oh, Kuz. You know, like, I don't want to say I told you so, but do you remember here last week when I said that there's no way there's going to be some kind of scandal where a coach is going to keep on playing his players even though they have COVID-19 because you don't have real third parties? You remember that? Well, it's not even the college football season yet, and we're already here. Listen, this is this is. I mean, this is. It, it's news to me because it's happening so early, but you can see this coming from a mile away. Okay, there is going to be an issue with how coaches, whether it's the NCAA or the NFL, treat the COVID nineteen cases. Sure, right now, you know, if you're an NFL coach or a college coach, yeah, he's got it. He's got it. Let's report it, guys. Let's do things by the protocol. Absolutely, for sure. Let's do it. But when the season's on the line, if you're trying to make the playoffs, if you're trying to win a conference championship. Or for a coach, keep your job. If you're trying to keep your job, if you're trying to go to a bowl game, listen, man, I'm not going to break any single news here, but but the game of football, whether it's college or the NFL, it's one of the most cutthroat businesses in the entire world, okay? Not only from a player's perspective, but also a coach's perspective. So, once again, I'm not breaking news. I, I talked about this last week. There is going to be instances where coaches try to bend the rules as much as possible. Once again, college and the NFL because of their will to win, okay? Because if they don't win, it hurts their resumes, okay? And if your resume gets hurt, You're willing to go around the rules if you have to to try to make sure that you have the job security. Now, one could say, well, let's be honest here. If you're an owner, if you're an AD of a university, 
are you going to think of this season as a real season or is it going to kind of be a wash? Like, listen, we understand that some of your players got sick. We're not going to hold that against you, man. Let's just get through this year and let's evaluate ourselves next year and kind of give you a clean slate. Yeah, maybe that's a possibility. But winning is everything, man. Okay? And, and, and there is no excuses. I know how coaches think, whether it's the NFL or college. And if you're truly concerned about COVID-19 and you're truly concerned about setting the good example for society, you need to have an official third-party tester. You can't hire team doctors. You can't hire team staffs to do this because they're, they're too close to it, man. And I'm not saying every single team is going to be corrupt. Far from it. But I guarantee there's going to be a couple teams out there in college and probably even more teams in the NFL that aren't going to do things the right way. And if they don't do things the right way and they don't report every single case because there's a season on the line, you want to talk about bad optics? What did I talk about in the beginning of the show? I said that the NFL, it's hard for them to get any bigger. But you know what the NFL can do? They can get smaller. They can have bad publicity. They can have bad optics and leave a lot of bad tastes in people's mouths. And if that's going to be the case, and if you lie about COVID-19 tests, man, or you, you try to fudge the results, let's just say, there's going to be a storm coming your way, man. Does it surprise you that the players like went public with it, I guess? And, I, and well, it's a document, essentially, that, that the L.A. Times, from what I'm reading, they yeah. got. and But in it, it says, you know, and they quote, UCLA has uh, perpetually failed us, citing neglect and mismanaged injury cases. They didn't say specifically what. Yeah. But that could be, you know, they're not happy with something already. And then that makes them worried about this situation, which is obviously even more intense. So they didn't directly say COVID-19. It's more of an injuries Well, they said amid the coronavirus pandemic, so I think that's their main concern, but they're citing or or referencing other situations that they believe lead them to this theory. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question again then? Are you surprised that the players are actually like letting their names be involved with it instead of it being like internally, I guess, tried to handle? Well, listen, I don't know what kind of guy Chip Kelly is. I've never met him personally. I've heard stories about Chip Kelly. I've played against Chip Kelly. I don't know him personally. So it's hard for me to speak on what I know. Now, once again, I've heard things about Chip Kelly, and he's not, I would say he's not the, I don't want to say nicest because that means football, get real. Um, He's not the most player-friendly coach, let's just say, Okay. From what I've heard, once again, I don't know this as a fact, as this is what his former players have told me, okay? He's, he's not a player-friendly coach. Am I surprised? Absolutely not. Because we talk about the modern-day NFL athlete or the modern-day college athlete. This is the most self-aware football players I've ever been. Whether it's their health, whether it's things in society, they're hypersensitive to their self-awareness and their health, okay? Which is, hey, I'm not mad at that. That's awesome, guys. You should be hyper-aware of your health. And if you already have guys coming forward saying, listen, man, what we're doing right now in UCLA, it's not good, and we're not even to the season yet, the the, 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 the stakes aren't even on the line yet, and guys are coming forward, it goes to show you, man, just, just, just how messed up this whole thing could be down the line. So I get it. UCLA right now, they're, they're the first team, and I'm going to stand by what I said a couple weeks ago. We're going to look back on this season, whether it's college football or the NFL, and we're going to hear stories 
about guys who try to fudge the results a little bit just for their own benefit, just to try to win games. And then we're going to be left wondering, like, well, what do we do with those coaches now? What do we do with that kind of management? And it's not going to be a great conversation to have. Mark my words. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.